Second Chronicles 18. Jehoshaphat. He was, let me, let me see, so the messianic reign. Jesus was called the son of David. He was a descendant of King David, who was um, the first righteous, good, Christ-like foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, King of Israel. Uh, let me see if I get this right. David's son was Solomon. Solomon's son was Rehoboam. Rehoboam's son is, was, I forget. <laughs> no. I think it was, a, was it Abijah? Abijah's son was Asa. Asa's son is Jehoshaphat. And in the, in the south, by this time, there were really two Israels. It's uh, a tragedy, but it was brought about by the Lord because of Solomon's great, 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 exceedingly great sin. There's an Israel in the north, there's an Israel in the south. There was never a good king in the north, not even one. In the south, there were something like nine, but uh, Jehoshaphat was definitely the best king since David. There'll be other really, really good kings, Hezekiah being one, Josiah being another. But this guy was a, um, a wonderful king, and, and we attribute uh, his success to the fact that he, chapter 17, verse 4, says he sought the Lord. He, he, he sought the Lord. He, I've been speaking so much. Uh, I, I, I've been chewing anyone's ear off that's willing to let me chew their ear off. There's a distinction between prayer and seeking. We need to seek the Lord. I was just in a heavy counseling session last night, just was just telling the folks, seeking the Lord. Seeking the Lord is basically crying out like David, Psalm 139, Lord, search me, examine me, see if there's any wicked way within me, and lead me on the road everlasting. In other words, every day, Lord, what is, what is it that you want to tell me today, and what am I getting off today? What, what person am I harboring unforgiveness for? How am I not walking by faith? How am I put, what, what, what do I have on my hands on today that I should um, get my hands off of? He sought the Lord. Verse 6 of chapter 17 says, his heart took delight in the Lord. When, when your heart starts taking delight on, in the Lord, you are on a path to exceedingly good blessing. And so our prayer should be, Lord, I, I want to delight. I want to delight in you, in your ways. Not just do the things that you tell me to do, but to delight in your ways. And so with it, um, as a general rule, this always happens. Uh, the Lord blesses that kind of person, not necessarily overnight, but over time. And in chapter 18, verse 1, it says, He, Jehoshaphat, had riches and honor and abundance, and by marriage he allied himself with Ahab. So, when you have great fruitfulness in your life, when you get to the point where your heart is delighting in the Lord and you start seeing the fruit of ministry, that is the life of God in you being reproduced into the life of others, you can be sure that you are a marked man, a marked woman. Satan will be after you. And that's exactly what happened with Jehoshaphat. He becomes, uh, it says he had riches and honor and abundance. He was a very fruitful man at this time. He was a missionary. He sent out people to um, other lands to, to teach them about the Lord. And um, uh, he, to, to teach them about the Lord. And... Uh, let me see, had he gone to other lands yet? But he was certainly doing, rather he was, yeah, he had there. Let me see here. No, 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 no. Maybe he hadn't 
maybe he had not left um, the southern kingdom yet. He will eventually. But he, he, he went throughout the land of, of Judah, and he taught the word of God, and um, he was just, it, 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 he was being very fruitful, but he became a marked man, and uh, Satan knew his weakness. He was a guy, Jehoshaphat was a guy who I can relate to very much. He, he, he wanted to be liked by everyone, and he was the, a type of guy you would enjoy a lot, his company, uh, and he, he just had... A, he, he not only liked being liked by everyone, he, he, as a general rule, liked people. He was fond of people. And one way or another, um, the devil got him to ally himself with Ahab, Ahab being the husband of Jezebel, and both of them super wicked people. But they both had a charisma to them, and one how or another, he winds up marrying off his oldest son to Ahab and Jezebel's daughter. It's going to be a full-fledged disaster. You are a marked man, a marked woman. And, and um, you know, in the book of Ephesians says, be circumspect, be very careful what you do, because the days are evil. And... As soon as you become fruitful, then you're all the more, more of a target. It says in verse 2, after some years, he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria. Now, when you see went down here from Jerusalem, everything is down because Jerusalem is up on a hill. In fact, he was going north, but when you come from Jerusalem, you're always going down. He went down to visit Ahab in Samaria, and Ahab killed the sheep and oxen in abundance for him, and the people who were with him, and persuaded uh, him to go up with him to Ramoth-Gilead. So Ahab, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, will you go with me against Ramoth-Gilead? Now, Ramoth-Gilead was the area of Israel west of the Jordan River, and the Syrians, it was, it was the land of Israel, but the Syrians had taken it over. The enemies of God had taken it from Israel because Israel's now in a backslidden state, and um, Ahab wants to go back and get it, and to be sure, uh, when... Uh, when an evil people or an evil man or an evil woman has something they really want to do when they have the when they set their eyes on something um there they could they you need to be in prayer because they really may be coming after you to come alongside of um of you because they see the hand of God on your life and so Ahab and Jezebel they knew Jehoshaphat had the great favor of the Lord. And so they, they go to him and say, hey, can you join us in a war against the Syrians in order to take back this part of Israel that was once Israel, once part of Israel? It was a good idea, but it was not God's idea. I come up with good ideas all the time, but they're not God's ideas. And I fall flat on my face. I, I do, I have to say, I do know a little better now than I did uh, five years ago and more five years ago than 10 years ago and more 10 years ago than 15, etc. I need to pray first. Just because I have a good idea doesn't, doesn't ma- mean it's God's idea. It's a good idea. Get back t- to Israel. What's Israel's? And what's more, end of verse 3, it says, Jehoshaphat answered Ahab, I am as you are, and my people as your people, we will be with you in the war. See, they were related. The Jews were all related. And again, seems like a good idea. I'm helping out my family. I'm getting back a part of Israel. See, you're going to have these good ideas come into your life, but they're not necessarily God's ideas. Um, Notice that 
he doesn't pray. He just immediately answers. He says, yes, I will do this. And he doesn't pray about it. Notice also verse 2 just, um, it, it says that Ahab killed sheep and oxen in abundance for him. He's, he's basically just laying it all on. This is like a satanic setup. You know, the, Satan will dump all kinds of money in front of you. I'm sorry, I've got to say this, but so oftentimes that people work on Sundays, Sunday morning, because they're getting double the money. It's just all a big satanic setup. Don't fall for it. It, it won't produce any fruit. Just like the book of Malachi says, what will happen is God will poke holes in your pockets and you'll wind up losing more money because of your disobedience than if you had just obeyed the Lord. But so he, this is what he's doing. He's killing sheep and oxen in, in, in abundance. And he's, he's basically... Um, you know, he, he, he's a wily character, he's a, Ahab is. He, 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 um, he's the king, by the way, that he almost single-handedly uh, led Israel from the worship of the Lord to the worship of the Baals, uh, which are just false foreign gods, gods of sex, gods of the mind, just pagan gods. That's what... That's what um, Ahab married the uh, Jezebel. Her her father was a pagan priest, and he essentially is just at his wife's beck and call. And she and he led Israel away from the Lord. And again, end of verse three, Jehoshaphat says, I am as you are, and my people as your people, and we will be with you in the war. So he liked people. He um, wanted to please people. He wanted to bless people. He was a, a, a very gracious soul. The Bible says in Proverbs, the liberal soul, speaking of liberal giving, will be, will be made fat, meaning fat in terms of blessing and, and honor from the Lord, but we still have to see, have discernment in how we give. And, and, and he says, I am as you are, my people as your people, we will be with you in the war. We're related, we're cousins. Um, what could be a better thing than getting back part of Israel? Verse 4, it says, and also um, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, please inquire for the word of the Lord today. So what's he's doing? Have you ever done this? You decide what you're going to do, and then you go to God and say, hey, God, bless this thing. That, 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 that's what he's doing here, and that's what we do. But we should not. Please inquire for the word of the Lord today. Then the king of um, Israel gathered the prophets together, 400 men, and said to them, Shall we go to the war against Ramath Gilead, or shall I re refrain? So they said, Go up, for God will deliver it into the king's hand. Meaning, you're going to win this war. Verse 6, But Jehoshaphat said, Is there still not a prophet is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? In other words, this, he's a guy who delights in the ways of the Lord. This guy knows God, and he has all these wacky prophets of foreign gods. He knows they're not prophets of the Lord. You know, one of the wonderful things about being a Christian is that you are a man, you're a woman of peace. Did you know that? We've been given a peace from the Lord. I quote this all the time. The last teaching that Jesus ever gave to his disciples before going off to be crucified is in the book of John, chapter 16. Last verse, he says, I have spoken to you all these things so that in me you may have peace. You're a person of peace. And when you lose that peace, 
You know something's wrong. He knows something's wrong here when he's listening to all these prophets. It's like these people, all they're doing is saying yes. They're just giving the king what the king wants to hear. And he says, is there a prophet of the Lord, meaning Yahweh here? Can we speak to someone who is really God's prophet? It's interesting to me here that um, Jehoshaphat, even in the midst of all this religious craziness, he still recognizes that um, he needs he needs to uh, seek out the counsel of the Lord. And it says, so the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is still one man by whom we may inquire the Lord, but I hate him. Now, if you're thinking about like joining up with some person and doing some venture and they say whatever i hate the bible or i hate billy graham or just take my advice turn around and run as fast as you can in the other direction unfortunately that's not what he does there is still one man that we may inquire of the lord but i hate him because he never prophesies good concerning me but always evil that's because ahab was an evil guy and what are you supposed to say to an evil guy you can't if you're, if you're telling the truth, he is Micah, we'll call him Micah, Micaiah, maybe that's a better way, Micaiah, the son of Imla. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say such things. In other words, I like this about Jehoshaphat. He wants to be liked, but he's willing to tell this king, hey man, you shouldn't be saying stuff like, I hate a prophet of God. Let a king not say such things, especially a leader. You shouldn't be saying these kinds of things. Verse 8, then the king of Israel called one of his officers and said, bring Micaiah, we'll call him Micaiah, the son of Imla, quickly. The king of Israel, verse verse 9, and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, clothed in their robes, sat each on his throne, and they sat at a threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets prophesied before them. Verse 10, now Zedekiah, the son of Chanana, had made horns of iron for himself, and he said, thus says the Lord, that's capital O, capital O, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, mean Yahweh, With these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. It's important, you know, that's a lie, and we're going to see that's not going to happen. They're going to get slaughtered by the Syrians. Just because someone is naming the name of the Lord, and they're called pastor this or pastor that, or reverend this or reverend, and they're using the name of the Lord, does not mean that what they're saying is true. And it's just, I I was just in Ephesians chapter 4 today. It says that to some he gave apostles, to some he gave prophets, to some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the working of the ministry, for uh, for the work of the ministry, for the equipping of the saints, for the edification of uh, 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 of, of the body of Christ. So that we'll all come to the knowledge and faith in the Son of God to a perfect man to the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. The problem is, is when we don't know the Bible and someone gets up there and calls themselves pastor this or pastor that, and we don't know the Bible, we're just going to believe whatever they say because they're on TV, they're on the live stream, they're on TikTok or whatever. They must be important. They, 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 they must be speaking the truth, but not so. He, he, he says here, this false prophet says, thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, verse 10. The third commandment, by the way. Anyone know the third commandment? Shout it out. What's the third commandment? 
you shall not take the Lord, the name, um, the name of the Lord your God in vain. And, and one of the ways to do that is if you say the Lord's name and the Lord's saying something, but he's not saying it. It's a violation of the third commandment. He says, with these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophesies... Um, uh, all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hand. So they're all saying what he wants to hear. Verse 12, Then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord encouraged the king. Therefore, please, let your word be like the word of them and speak encouragement. Meaning, the messenger's like, please, 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 don't say anything that's going to get the king mad. And Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, whatever my God says, that I will speak. And then he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? And he said, go and prosper, and they shall... Um, be delivered into your hand. Now, apparently, he is saying that sarcastically because at verse 15 says, the king said to him, how many times shall I, I, I make your, um, you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? So he, he basically knows he's being sarcastic. In some way, he knows that um, he's not, he didn't, he's not, prophesying accurately. So then he goes and he tells the truth here. Verse 16. Then he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master, but each return to his house in, in, in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. So verse 16, basically, um, when it says, I saw all Israel and they had no shepherd, that's because Ahab was the king, and so they didn't have a shepherd. They didn't have a leader. It says that King David was the shepherd of Israel. Because although he wasn't perfect, he, he shepherded the, the people of Israel. It says they're scattered in verse 16. So the king of Israel could tell that this was not a good prophecy. Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me but evil? Verse 18, then Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing on his right hand and his left. And the Lord said, Who will persuade Ahab, king of Israel, to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead. So one spoke in this manner, and another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, in what way? Verse 21, so he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. So this is a most unusual passage, don't you think? We see a, um, a picture into heaven here. This is kind of like in the book of Job, which I'm reading in my, my own devotion time. I'm, I'm in the book of Job. In the beginning of the book of Job, it says all the angels were going before God, including Satan himself. The word adversary is, is I believe, the direct translation in, in, the, um, in the book of Job. And uh, God asked Satan in the book of Job, what have you been doing? He goes, well, I've been going to and fro throughout all the earth. And God said, if you consider my servant Job, he's a very righteous man. And Satan said, well, that's just because you put a hedge around him and you don't, you don't allow affliction in his life. And then we know the rest of the story, right? The Lord gives Satan permission to afflict him. 
And so here, this is a similar kind of scene here. I think it's very, very, very important that you understand that prior to this time, God had sent the heavyweight prophets to this guy Ahab. I mean, Elijah is the guy who stood with Jesus on the mountain of transfiguration in the New Testament. He was the appointed prophet for Ahab, trying for years and years to bring Ahab to repentance. One time, Ahab even did repent, but then he went back to his ways. But he, So God had been sending him um, the heavyweights, but here, in terms of the prophets, but here, it's, it's done. You know, Ahab now is really being given over to judgment by the Lord, and it is true. It appears here that this is another demonic angel or messenger of Satan, that the Lord actually uses to bring judgment on Ahab by going to his prophets and putting lying words in, in their mouths. The Bible does say in, is it 1 Corinthians 14? The spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. In other words, just not because, you know, just because someone's a prophet doesn't mean they may be speaking the lies of the devil. And, and it's subject to the prophets, meaning Others in the church body need to, who have a gift of prophecy need to be judging whether or not what is said is correct. But in this case, it's lies. And um, it's, 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 it's one of those strange, kind of hard things to figure out um, in the Bible. But the Lord uh, uses, even Satan is used to glorify the Lord. And here, um, here is an example here uh, in the sense that um, this, this lying demonic spirit, these lying spirits are, are put in the mouths of the prophets and motivate Ahab to um, go do something. Eventually, it's going to be for his, uh, his death. But when Zedekiah, the son of verse 23, the son of um, Chanana, went near and struck me, Micaiah on the cheek and said, which way did the spirit from the Lord go from me to speak to you? So he's mocking him. And Micaiah said, indeed, you shall see on the day when you go into an inner chamber to hide. Then the king of Israel said, take Micaiah and return him to the Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, thus says the king, put... <clears throat> Put this fellow in prison and feed him with the bread of affliction and water of affliction until I return in peace. But Micaiah said, if you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. So he really puts his prophecy on the line. He says to Ahab, if you return in peace, meaning if you, if you return alive, if you do not die, the Lord didn't speak to me. And then, he, and then at the end of verse 27, it says he said, take heed all you people, just listen, listen up people, with the hope that when the people see Ahab die, they will turn to the Lord, which they won't, but the, but the Lord is a merciful God and he's always calling people to repentance. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead, verse 28. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and they went into battle. This is a very strange thing. Um, here, why Jehoshaphat allows himself to do this, because if you remain clothed in king's clothing, you become a target, as we shall see here. That's what he does. Verse 30, now the king of Syria had commanded the captains of the chariots who were with him, saying, fight with, one, with no one small or great, but only with the king of Israel. So what he's saying is, just go after the king, kill the king, don't worry about killing anyone else. 
So it was when the captains of the chariot saw Jehoshaphat that they said, It is the king of Israel. Therefore they surrounded him to attack. But Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped them, and God diverted them from him. And so the Lord is a merciful God. He is a God of mercy. It's interesting, um, Freddie pointed out on Sunday morning that the first mention of the word righteous man, is that correct? In the, in, in the New Testament, Matthew was Joseph, and he's called righteous for being merciful, not for not getting drunk, not for not cheating, not for uh, not fornicating, all those things are sin. But too often times we think that's what the heart of righteousness is. Not really. It's the mercy and, and, and it's love and joy. The joy of the Lord that at, are the heart of what righteousness is. And this is crazy. Jehoshaphat should be punished for going into battle with this unbelievably evil king. Don't not, here's a double negative. I'll just unapologetically use a double negative. Don't not call upon God for mercy just because you've done an incredibly stupid thing. Don't not do that. <laughs> Meaning do it. Call on the God of mercy. He is the God of mercy. He's the God of love and, and peace. So blessed in the study that I was doing in 2 Corinthians, last chapter, it says, may the God of love and peace be with you. He's a God of love. He loves you. Especially when you do stupid things. <laughs> and so call out to him for mercy. But there would be no mercy here for Ahab. Ahab's time's up. There was mercy and long-suffering for years and years and years, trying to get Ahab to repent, sending him Elijah of all people. Verse 32, so it was when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel that they turned back from pursuing him. Now a certain man drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. So he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and take me out of battle, I am wounded. This is Ahab. The battle increased that day, and the king of Israel propped himself up in the chariot facing the Syrians until evening, and about the same, about the time of sunset, he died. So he knew he's wounded, but he wanted his people, he didn't want his people to know that he was seriously wounded, so he propped himself up so to encourage his people in the battle. It didn't, it didn't help. They lost anyway. And he died. More on him later, I believe. We're going to pick, pick up, back up with him. Or was that Second Kings or First Kings? But so he died here um, in Second in Chronicles, now in chapter 19. I, actually, just before we go to... to no, I, I, I should, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go forward here because this is important. This, this chapter is one of the reasons I love Jehoshaphat. Then Jehoshaphat, the king of, of Judah, returned safely to the house in Jerusalem. And Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, meaning a prophet, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. I just can't tell you how much I appreciate stories like this. Someone having the guts to go tell a king and confront him for helping the wicked and loving those who hate the Lord. There is a famine of courage in the body of Christ. People just unwilling to be bold and confront sin, including sin in leadership and in government. 
Nevertheless, good things are found in you and that you have removed the wooden images from the land and have prepared your heart to seek God. So he confronts him. And what to me is really significant about this is this guy, his name is Jehu, the son of Hanani. If you are with us, with us a few weeks ago, we were with this guy, Hanani, his father. His father confronted Jehoshaphat's father, Asa, and Asa threw him in prison. And of course, his son knows that. But he goes out and confronts Asa's son anyway. Did everyone follow me with that? The prophet's father confronted Jehoshaphat's father and Jehoshaphat's father threw the prophet's father in prison. But here, he uh, goes out anyway and does it just knowing that it's the Lord Jesus Christ that he is serving. Of course, he doesn't know Jesus Christ, but he, he knows the Lord. And verse 3 says, Nevertheless, good things are found in you in that you have removed the wooden images from the land and have prepared your heart to seek God. Verse 4 says, Jehoshaphat dwelt at Jerusalem and he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the mountains of Ephraim and brought them back to the Lord God of their fathers. You see here what happens? Precisely the opposite that his father Asa did, which is... Father Asa got furious at the prophet, threw him in prison, and then when it started troubling and oppressing the people of the land, Jehoshaphat, this is full-on repentance. This is what repentance looks like. Repentance isn't just big, fat tears that you weep because you're sorry that you got caught doing what you're doing. It's going out and doing righteous stuff, <laughs> including this. He's, he's, he's using the, the, his own treasury to go back and bring people back to the Lord, not only the people in his own kingdom, but he crosses the borders into uh, the northern kingdom and is bringing those people back too. Even though he is told by this guy, that the wrath of God is on him. He could have said, so the wrath of God is a, it says, end of verse 2, it says, the wrath of the Lord is upon you, meaning you're in big trouble. God's going to punish you big time. Why not just respond, well, there's no, there's no use um, going out and repenting and doing good deeds because I'm done. I'm going to get punished by the Lord. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you'll die. I'm just going to do that. He doesn't do it. He goes out and he turns back the people to the Lord their God. Now, personally, uh, I, what I think is, happens here is God relented on the punishment. He relented on the wrath. In other words, he doesn't punish him. Just like who in the Bible? Do you guys remember what city was told they were going to be destroyed, but they repented and they were not destroyed? Someone shouted out. Nineveh. I think this is a Nineveh-like story. He says, the, he says, the wrath of God's upon you. doesn't say, unless you repent. It just says, the wrath of God. When, when Jonah went into Nineveh, he said, was it 40 days? In 40 days, you guys are destroyed. That's all he said. He didn't say, and if you repent, you will not be destroyed. But they repented anyway, and God relented. Now, does God change his mind? I don't answer those kind of questions. <laughs> I, 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 I know the, 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 the Bible says that the, the Lord is unchangeable, but I do know repentance and prayer move heaven. They really do. And uh, that's what I think happened. I, 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 th I think the Lord relented on whatever the wrath was. It says in verse 
5, he set judges in the land throughout all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city, and said to the judges, take heed to what you are doing, for you do not judge for man, but for the Lord who is with you in the judgment. Now, therefore, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. The fear of the Lord, it's so utterly important, particularly for a judge, because for all human history, the problem has been is that judicial systems in the nations of the world fall apart when there's bribery. But if a judge has the fear of the Lord, he knows God knows, and he fears the punishment from the Lord, and he doesn't take a bribe which creates stability in the land, which creates prosperity in the land. It says, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take care and do it, for there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, no partiality, no taking of bribes. Moreover, in Jerusalem, for the judgment of the Lord and um, for controversies, Jehoshaphat appointed some of the Levites and priests and some of the chief fathers of Israel when they returned to Jerusalem. And he commanded them, saying, Thus you shall act in the fear of the Lord faithfully and with a loyal heart. Whatever case comes uh, to you from your brethren who dwell in the cities, whether of bloodshed or of offenses against law or commandment, against statutes or ordinances, you shall warn them lest they trespass against the Lord and wrath come upon you and your brethren. Do this and you will not be guilty. And take notice, Amariah the chief priest is over, in, over you in all matters of the Lord, and Zebediah the son of Ishmael, the ruler of the house of Judah, for all the king's matters, also the Levites will be officials before you. Behave courageously, and the Lord will be with the good. See, if, there's, if you're a judge out in some community far away from Jerusalem and you want to do the right thing, there's rich people around you, and, you, and, and if you uh, judge against them, they're going to retaliate. And he's just saying, you got to fear the Lord. you got to do the right thing. And he'll honor that. And so that's what real repentance looks like. Real repentance. That's what it looks like. I have to read 2 Corinthians 7.11. Please turn with me to 2 Corinthians 7.11. I have to read it about every three months. I really do. I read this verse about every three months. Um, it's what's called godly repentance. All the time, you know, I shouldn't say all the time, but not unusually, I do see people who are very upset because of their sin, but there's not godly repentance. 2 Corinthians 7, let's start in verse 9, says, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. There's a difference. You understand that? There's a difference. You can be sorry, but your, your sorrow does not necessarily lead to a change of your, behend, uh, of your behavior. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. So if, you, if, you're, if you're sorry because your sin has led to consequences, but it does not result in real repentance, you're just on a pathway to death. Is that death is at work in your, in your life. That's what it says. But verse 11 is a description of someone who is repentant or sorrowful in a godly manner. This is real repentance. 
says, what diligence it produced in you. I guess the verse starts off, for observe this very thing that you served in a godly man. What diligence it produced in you. Meaning you are diligently making up for whatever you did wrong. Or you're diligently working at changing your behavior. Number two, what clearing of yourselves. Meaning you're really doing what's necessary to, to, to go to the people you wronged and, and clear yourself of any debt against those person, people, whatever it may be. You're, you're, you're clearing the guilt off of your name by just going and apologizing or paying back or doing whatever is necessary. Number three, what indignation, meaning you seriously hate what you did. What fear. You are fearful of what your sin could have resulted in in your life. What vehement desire, meaning you really, really desire a better life, a godly life. You're going to God to, to, to really... Seek out, what do you want me to do here? What vehement desire? God, how am I supposed to repent of this thing? What zeal and what vindication? Meaning you're vindicating your name. You're vindicating this sin that was done. That is real repentance. And I always say, if you're wondering whether someone has repented, it means they haven't repented because they, if they are repenting, it will be obvious. If there's anything that verse teaches, it's that. 2 Corinthians 7, 11. And so uh, Jehoshaphat really does repent here. You know, I want to just um, end with another verse in 2 Corinthians, if you're still there. Um, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 6, so it's one chapter before. The thing that Jehoshaphat did in the beginning that was just such a mistake is he became unequally yoked. If you're a godly woman, rest assured, if you're a godly woman and you're single, rest assured, men, any man, even the most ungodly men, will be going after you. Because you are godly, just as Ahab went after Jehoshaphat because he was godly. Because they know it's a good thing. It's a good thing to marry a godly woman. It'll bring me good things in my life. The problem is it will bring them good things in their life, but it'll bring you misery. Same thing, and we've seen it here at Calvary Chapel in the city in, in years past, if you are a godly man, a woman, any woman, including ungodly woman, will be targeting you. I say this all the, all the time. The sexiest guy in the world is a godly guy. He can be incredibly ugly. You'll have the most gorgeous woman hitting on you because it's sexy to be godly. And, and, uh, and, and it's so important that you... Be real careful with that because um, it's the same thing. They see you as their solution, as, as a way to, um, to, to get some good out of, of their life. And they will get some good out of their life, but you're going to be miserable. You're going to be miserable. But it not only has to do with marriages, it's, it's, it's business partnerships, it's it's um, just aligning yourself really in any way. And that's what Jehoshaphat did. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11 says, O Corinthians, we have spoken to you openly in this matter. Our, hope, our, our heart is wide open. You are restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Actually, go down to verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. 
And, and, and particularly in the context of marriage, just because someone is a quote-unquote good person and moral person, you will be missing the most important thing in your life. You'll never have, you won't have a person unless the person comes to the Lord, but you shouldn't bet on it. You'll be missing, you will be missing the most important thing in the spouse that you want, someone who delights in the ways of the Lord. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial, which is Satan? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You have God inside of you. As God has said, middle of verse 16, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them. Be separate, says the Lord do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. You know, the good news is, as we saw in the life of Jehoshaphat, even when uh, you do make a mistake and you become unequally yoked in either in business or marriage or whatever, there's mercy. We saw that. There's, God is a merciful God. But, unfortunately, we will see here uh, later on in, in, uh, in the... Uh, we do see in the chapters that later on, um, because he allowed his son to be married to their daughter, there's going to be some pretty awful consequences. But, you know, we're here... And this is the feast of the Lord that we feasted on tonight. It's a warning for our good, and it's an encouragement for our good as well.